welcome to episode 26 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hi there, Steve. Dagur Gislason joined us from his home in Reykjavik for a fascinating conversation about black metal in Iceland and the work of his former band, Abassination, and current project, Mistherming. Dagur is one of the driving forces in Icelandic black metal, Ben, and after speaking with him, it's easy to see why, eh? It is. He brought so much passion to um, to the way he talked about his evolution and experience in music and being one of the Icelandic black metal elite, as he was able to describe himself, mm. but in um, you know in a very very humble fashion. Um, and the way that he talked about, um, he mentioned kind of the the sort of pride and the sort of the badge of honor and pride in the scene and about unifying this kind of circle amongst their amongst their kind of creative uh, group of people and it was yeah it was a fantastic and very very passionate um evocation of a scene wasn't it yeah 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 he painted a real picture of it and i'm not i'm not much of a black metal listener but i'd absolutely recommend the the two misthearming albums there's some amazing ideas amongst those songs and actually i was really surprised by the places that the music went to yeah i think so and i think i mean you're probably more inclined to kind of dabble into that kind of genre of music than i than i am you're saying but, I'm, um, I'm more metal than you you are definitely more metal <laughs> <laughs> more 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 I'll black metal it. i'll take it but um but um on the back of on the back of your kind of passionate speech about it i did go and check out a lot of stuff and i found some stuff that i you know much much to enjoy within that and as with all our kind of experiences in this in this uh, podcast and uh, different encounters with people just the conversations with folks does um afterwards always always kind of gives you some insight in that and kind of opens your mind out a little bit and, and says okay go and check it out with with that open view and see what you find because there's always there is going to be something to enjoy yeah definitely yeah i was talking to one of the uh uh, the the dad the dad's uh, uh, my son's f uh, football team about it because he'd started listening to the podcast and he said oh, yeah, it doesn't that sort of music doesn't really grab me and I thought I don't think it is the sort of music that grabs you I think it's the sort of music that you have to uh, let sort of envelop you and and you just kind of sit within it and uh, and take your time and because initially there's that initial abrasive um, assault <laughs> for, uh, for want of a better word but actually when you, you kind of get past that moment and I was really taken by it I thought there was some incredible stuff going on and and talking to Dago about it you can see that there's that all of that intent is there uh, and that craft is there as well for sure and it would I think it would be easy it would be easy to be dismissive of a music like that of something that you would sit that you would think of as being a really niche kind of music and maybe i say okay so maybe it is in within individual kind of areas individual countries it is a niche music but when you look at the networks that have developed the global networks that have developed to kind of support this music and the way that that is um the connections happen the way it's promoted the you know um and and dagger talks about that brilliantly through the episode i think it will give you you know that um there is something much wider there and there's something really to admire in the way that those networks have developed to support this music 
Um, and, you know, we know that people are listening much more in a sort of global sense these days. So the connections that could happen between uh, Iceland and other countries across the globe in musical terms are much, much more readily available, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and once again, we found ourselves talking about communities of creative people supporting one another and Dagger's label and other work that he does is a real, a real testament to that. You know, you, you raised a question around, um, around the kind of DIY ethics within the, the conversation. And I think he very much kind of said, we came back with an answer around independence over DIY. And that on, on the surface, that might have been a little bit not what we were expecting. But I think when he was able to kind of elaborate on that, it was much more about a way, you know, independence and a different way of doing things. And we've covered territory around the notion of music and music industry and business and how that affects things. But it's very clear that, you know, there has always been and increasingly, increasingly so there is a different way of doing things. So, you know, the the label that um, Myth Pyramid are working with in Norway, you know, um, and other labels that we've talked about, like um, Joe Thompson's Wrong Speed, you know, they're... Um, there's a different way. There are labels that are operating for the benefit of the bands because they're um, working off a passion for for those bands, and they're not they're not out to exploit people. They're just out to make connections and to promote music. And Dagger was very much into well, I want people to hear the music that I'm making. I'm not I'm not looking to keep it within within my tiny little scene. I want it to be spread, you know, and to be going and playing shows across the globe. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. I hope we get a chance to see him when when the gigs start happening again. I hope we get a chance to go and see those shows that they've got planned because I have no doubt that they will be amazing. Yeah, totally. Um, well, our thanks to Dagger for making time to speak with us and actually sharing music from his early project, which is not something he usually talks about. Um, uh, I have a couple of things to just finish off with. Firstly, we had an email uh, from Sarah Lippett, who was our guest on episode 25, uh, where she confirmed, if for those people that listened to that episode, that her mum did actually see the Beatles um, in 1966 and was screaming in the crowd, which is brilliant. So thank you to Sarah <laughs> for sending that in. Yeah, brilliant. Um, <laughs> um, also, Ben, did you know that it's the third December 2020 is the 35th anniversary of the release of the classic single Systematic by Five Star? Well, it is. Uh, and why not celebrate by leaving <laughs> us five stars on Apple Podcasts? Thank you. <laughs> And on that comedic note, shall we go over to our interview with Dago Gislason on episode 26 of Songs from a Padded Envelope? It's not comedic, it's bloody serious. Five star anniversary <laughs> singles. I heard Visions of the Void. I am Dagur from the Notorious Abassination and you will be hearing Visions of the Void of our second demo, Demo 2. Thanks for making time to come on the podcast, Dagur. Can we, can we just start with a bit about you and when you first became interested in playing music? Uh, I suppose uh, I, was, I was six when I started studying music. And I remember having a cassette deck, very like shitty cassette deck. And 
I had this cassette by the Gypsy Kings. So I was playing Bumpo Leo on repeat when I was six and seven. But when I was eight years old, I got uh, Mutter by Rammstein, which just turned my existence upside down. And that's when I knew like, I want to play an e- electric guitar on stage and rock hard. So at eight years old, Avdaka, who plays Rammstein to you? Uh, it's a friend of my mother's who is kind of a radical guy. He's, he's like the one in the group who swears and speaks the loudest. And uh, this was the year this album was released, 2001. And uh, Rammstein had played their first show in Iceland. And this guy went to the show. He was amazed. And he just thought he had to share this with little me. So he bought me a CD. That's fantastic. What a guy. What, uh, what's his name? We should give a shout out to, to this guy. <laughs> Kiesley. Kiesley. It's actually okay. the well. same as my father's name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, getting the, the, the Rammstein cd your world is turned on its axis up what 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 do you do next are you out to get an electric guitar at that point for sure yeah Uh, my first guitar i I got it when i was 12 that's the same time as when i quit the piano i was bored with mozart and those uh, classical songs i i never well there was some classical music i i liked but i thought most of it was very soft and uh, I just wanted to play the guitar. So eventually I got that guitar when I was 12 and it, it was a terrible guitar, but it looked the same as the Rammstein guitarists. <laughs> so that was like, that was the next step for me. And you know, my brother, he listened a little bit to stuff like Metallica and my, my perspective widened slowly throughout my teenage years. Was there music, uh, always music on in your house when you were growing up? Yeah. My my mom, I, I don't know why she didn't become a professional musician because she, she loves it and she goes to the symphony every chance she gets. And yeah, she had a very firm uh, mission to make me learn as early as possible so yeah uh, uh, yeah i guess she support supported even when i got into metal she she tried of course she got a bit tired of it every now and then but so when you got your guitar um how easy was it for you to find other people to play with and start start your first band uh i think i learned completely by ear the the piano years definitely paid off um i learned in a suzuki method school which is uh, it emphasizes a lot on learning by ear so switching from the piano to a guitar was more or less easy and i did some short courses and yeah when i got into my later teenage years i realized if i want to have a band i i need to need to have a proper amplifier so i got a big old marshall 
like four times twelve uh, cabinet thing, and and that's when we formed the band. I was like, okay, I have this amplifier, so now I'm ready to enter our rehearsal space, like uh, with dignity. <laughs> Absolutely. How did you how did you meet the people that um, is this is this a fascination or is yeah. It, yeah so how did you all come together were you friends already no no um, uh, this guy the drummer Sigurdur he had a death metal band which split up at the time and he didn't want to like leave the rehearsal space and quit so he was like okay I need more guys into the room help with the rent and I need to keep playing like I'll form a new band so he posted an advertisement on an Icelandic forum long dead today of course and and that's that's how we met like um, I think he, he already wrote like two songs for a fascination, sent me those songs. I'm not sure if it was taps or just sound recordings or whatever. Um, but I learned those songs and a couple of cover songs, like Born Dead by Death. And yeah, we met up, tried jamming out those songs, worked well, so we just recruited more guys into the band the same method the the forum and t told those guys to learn these cover songs and and it kind of happened pretty pretty fast and nice how quickly were you out playing live i think around half a year or so when we had like enough material for a set list we didn't want to do any cover songs live like just all original straight from the start and was it easy to get gigs? Um, uh, is this, this is in uh, Reykjavik? Yeah. Um, I don't think you really get gigs. Like we tried talking to like Svartitöði. They were at the time and still are the, the biggest black metal band here. And they were like, ah, you're new kids. Like we, we kind of like they had some... Uh, ambition for a serious lineup for gigs so not to make them sound arrogant or anything we just like we were total newbies uh, so we just organized our first few shows ourselves and that's how everybody does it here you just contact the venue like hey we are new bands do you want to sell beer at, at like we'll gain a, a few attendees to your bar or whatever and there was actually this this venue that's an all ages venue no, it's not a bar and you can't have alcohol there and it's uh, only purpose is to help starting bands and underground kids that's great is it all kinds of music yeah as long as you have an amplifier i guess <laughs> <laughs> And how, how vibrant was the live scene in Reykjavik at that time then, Dagur? Well, I think it was kind of split in two. Like the the shows that had no age limit and the shows that had an age limit. And of course, there's a lot more 
um, supply of the bar gigs. So you had to kind of, like when I was starting to go to gigs, I had to trick myself or trick my way into the into the bars and like wait for a moment when the doorman was not watching and then just run inside <laughs> that's actually how i went to my first svartdöde show and but that that was kind of kind of lame for a teenager to know about cool gigs and you can't go in there uh no not even with an adult supervisor or anything just like yep there's a 28 20 year age limit you can't come in but there were a few gigs in this uh youth center so we we had some some shows there and there were other bands of of course like similar death metal shows and even some foreign bands did shows there like they did one show with an age limit and one all ages show the the track that we're going to hear at the end is off the second demo that a bassination recorded um when did you how uh go into the studio to record the first one um how long had you been been together i would not call it a studio it was uh it was the basement of uh, the guitarist and he had some decent equipment and we were like yeah let's make a demo that's that's how you start that's how you get yourself out there uh yeah we formed in 2010 this demo was released 2011 so yeah probably around a year after we formed we made this one demo one and yeah we we did everything ourselves like the guitarist he recorded it mixed it and i made the the cart cardboard uh, fold thing around the cd and made the cdr and it was pretty much the same same thing with the second demo but we decided to go for a cassette that time you said that you released the first demo did you can you talk a little bit about what you mean by releasing it um and was that just a locally or did you send the demo off to other labels to try and get some interest well i i think we like when we quit we didn't even have enough songs for an album so having making an album was a pretty distant dream and yeah by releasing it i mean like putting it on on physical format because we we thought like you you have to do a physical format and bandcamp and those things were kind of i think brand new or if they were even existing at that time but yeah there were soundcloud and shit like that but uh yeah physical format was like that was a demand like we have to do that what were the what were the aspirations for the band at the time what were you what were you thinking you wanted to happen for the band mm, i guess i wanted to reach at least the same heights as the bands in Reykjavik that i enjoyed going to and that's including Svartitöði and uh shrine shrine uh they used uh it's a actually a different band they used to be called gone postal 
and they did many many shows awesome death metal shows and yeah the the shows were crowded everybody was head banging and doing mosh pits and whatever and i was like yeah i want to, my band to to do the, these kind of shows i don't want to have like half empty venue with everybody just nodding instead of head banging cross crossed arms none of that did, did both those bands make success outside of Iceland as well? Yeah, sure. Uh, Shrine is signed to Season of Mist today. And they have toured America and done many, many shows in Europe and festivals. And pretty much the same story with Svartitidi. I think they're usually recognized as the biggest black metal band in Iceland. And they're still today my favorite band like top three favorite band has their um attitude changed towards the music that you're making from when you first approached them as newbies have they been more supportive since since that time yeah sure i i think we just had to prove ourselves so yeah when when the first mr ming shows started happening uh i th i think like some some things happened in between because we have such a small scene. If you're into black metal, you are you're going to know everybody else who's into black metal. So I was already going to the same parties as these guys, and yeah, when the Mister Miguel album was out, we were already planning to like we were already going to the same festivals abroad, and. The uh, the Mister Ming debut album was released on the same label as Svartidis debut album, so yeah, it, it, it we were following some similar paths. It sounds like it was a like a super supportive scene. Like there were people genuinely willing and and wanting to help each other. Yeah, like if your music isn't total shit, you you might be. Like you might start to be an opening band, and of course, always when a big band is planning a gig, they have to look for some some smaller bands for opening. And I, I guess that's that's the support, like attending and, and planning shows together. It, it was very strong, and I think it still is. You mentioned uh, the the misteming. Uh, project which came after a bassination split um i wanted to talk a little bit about the kind of the evolution of the music because it is very it, it is different um i have a very specific question actually mm -hmm. because i was very surprised listening to the first album and, and the being the presence of some piano on there and then finding out that you played is that you playing piano on the on the record yeah yeah i mean how present is piano in black metal because <laughs> it's not something i've come across very often and it i mean it's incredible i think it's an amazing moment in that track i didn't really give it a thought the first thing that comes to mind is the the depressive suicidal black metal scene in sweden uh, that's more mo moody music so it's very common there that they have piano parts and I don't know. The piano is a fantastic instrument. You can you can reach 
many different kinds of atmospheres with those keys. Uh, you can make spooky stuff. Um, I, I think not only the piano, just keyboards in general, like synthesizers and whatever, they have, of course, been very common in, in, in black metal. You know, Emperor from, from Norway, I think they are usually mentioned as the, the best examples of like very like a, a big presence of of synthesizers and all that and piano as a piano it does oftentimes a similar effect it's really interesting to hear you talk about the kind of all the little subgenres of black metal like how how does the how do those little pockets evolve and do you kind of as a as a black metal musician yourself, do you kind of feel free to dip in and out of all those different genres? Yeah, well, it's it's not very popular to to talk about these subgenres, and and I kind of understand why because it's generalization. And when when you put this uh, umbrella term on on something, you start to make expectations from it. Mm. So, like some some bands just say, we play metal of death, and I think that's like more accurate than saying, yeah, we play post um, technical, brutal, uh, depressive, atmospheric. Like it starts to sound a bit pretentious, as the music should speak for itself. But I, of course, I understand the the categorization because it's an interesting subject to to analyze the content of each band's like what is it that makes a band good? Yeah, those those sorts of subgenres where they get into really tiny. There's maybe like two bands operating in a in a subgenre. Yeah. Happens in you know dance music or you know there's. I think maybe maybe even more so in dance music they have they have those those kind of subgenres and it's quite often it's you know driven by journalism. Yeah, I I I I totally I, I totally understand it. Sure. I, I think especially if you're a collector, if mm, you're a yeah. fanatic, and there is some specific subgenre that you find yourself like you you want to dig deeper into exactly that category because what unifies those bands is something that you really connect to and i think i think these days it's really easy because music is so accessible it's really easy to go down a rabbit hole isn't it to kind of find a little a little avenue of music you've not discovered before and then you could follow it for i don't know three or four hours and come across 20 different things you've never heard before sure sure exactly and 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 there is just so much supply and like i don't know how many black metal albums are released every day but i know for sure that i'm never gonna hear all of them mm. and so yeah this categorization it helps if you if you wanna if you wanna stay in the loop for something specific i guess yeah yeah that's a good point um <clears throat> just going back to when um the forming of uh Mithirming, the um did you have it in your head that you wanted to kind of open the music out a little bit uh and, and and 
stretch what you were doing creatively um, from a, the sort of the tradition, more traditional stuff. Because you can sort of hear it in demo too of a bassination that, that that's starting to emerge. So is that did you have did, were you very deliberately trying to open out your, your sound a bit more? Well, we were too writing the music in a bassination, and uh, like you say, you can hear a, a bit more of my uh, sound on the second demo, which is basically because I I wrote more on that demo and um, we kind of evolved into different directions the drummer who was writing the other half of all the music he was more into the death metal thing and I was leaning more and more with time towards uh, black metal so I, I guess that was also one of the reasons why we split up like we just had different uh, hopes for uh, our creation and I had actually written like three of the songs on the debut album by Mr. Mink for a bassination and we played two of them live and when when the other guys in the band uh, started making comments about arrangements and all that I said no I wrote this song, it's going to stay this way. And eventually I just got tired of those comments and I was like, okay, next band I'm going to form, I will have uh, a final say on everything. So that was kind of, I guess it, it formed as a solo project. So like, I'm going to do my thing. I will have complete supervision over the comp compositions and all that. And yeah, it, it worked out that way. So, how did you build it from a site from a kind of solo project into the band that it is now? Um, I uh, when I formed the the band, my my only mission was to make an album, no demo, just a full album, proper album on a proper label. And as I said, it, uh, it was released on the same label as Svartite and I, I totally stole that idea from them. I, I thought like if, if an Icelandic band is able to release an album on a foreign label, a respected, amazing label, I should give it a shot. And it, it worked out, so I, I, I contacted Thomas who is one of my best friends today he, we we had this uh, side project also with Örlygur from Abbasination called Null or Zero and Thomas had this other band it's a bit complicated with this scene many bands but Thomas's other band Carpe Noctem had an amazing drummer so I asked Thomas can you talk to your drummer and ask him if he would learn my songs and just record them like he doesn't have to do anything else just enter the studio play the play the drums and and uh, it, it happened very smoothly and I was surprised how how willing he was to do it he listened to my homemade demos with the drum machine and he said yeah I love his songs 
let's let's mm. do this. So we recorded the album. Everything went very well. We had rehearsed a bit before, and it, the flow was so nice that we were like, maybe we should take this to a a live setting. So we recruited Thomas on the guitars, and and later the bassist. And yeah, that's how it started. Having that idea to, this is going to be, I'm going to drive this band, I want full control, I'm going to direct how things go, I'm going to produce the record. How satisfied were you with, with what came out? I, I was very satisfied. Um, I, I originally intended to do everything alone, just use a drum machine. And fortunately, I was wise enough to decide to to be proper have have real drums and yeah like i said it was only supposed to be this one album so so of course i i would be allowed to be the the sole master of everything and then later when we recruited the whole lineup in the band the guys just agreed like yeah we are entering your project so of course you write the songs if you want any input we we can but they never felt any need to have any input because i just write songs and it works that way and getting the 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 album released on that label in you know outside of iceland was a huge achievement and what did it do in terms of how did it raise the profile for the band well, uh, it's it's a Norwegian label, Teratur Possessions. Um, the mastermind behind this label has uh, many connections with, uh, I would say, at least the whole European scene with festivals, labels and distributions and whatever. So he, he got us uh, most of our first shows abroad. I think that was very important to to get to play outside of Iceland and like before Björk and Sigurós we had no bands in any genre in Iceland traveling outside. Well, I guess maybe after after the internet it started increasing but we we benefited a lot from this collaboration. We've spoken to um a number of musicians on the podcast who kind of operate within the spirit of DIY we've come from that that background that uh, do-it-yourself do background um, and how important is keeping that spirit of independence around what you do well independence is, is for sure uh, an important thing for me but uh, the DIY thing I'm I'm uh, not so sure about it like i think it's cool to make your own demos and all that stuff but i guess when you reach a point where there is high demand for anything you release you're not going to be able to dub 500 cassettes at home uh, and, and the same like organizing shows and all that I, I like to leave it to some professionals who who know how to do it and instead i can focus on the actual music and all that 
so I am all for help from I don't know um, like labels and uh, promoters managers if it helps making what you are trying to do more e more efficient sure do you do you think that the because um, you you ran your own cassette label do you think that setting that up um, was an important part of the of part of the journey part of the process for you yeah yeah we we have uh, actually started it again we took a hiatus for around two years and um, I, I think we wanted to to unify the things we were doing because we had so many bands that were sharing members. I, I had like three or four bands at the time. Thomas, my friend, he has like 20 bands. And yeah so much so much uh, much music that we had not released and we were admiring labels small labels around the globe who are doing the same like uh, i don't know uh, having like uh, a mark and the the label thing was not only supposed to be a label it was just to to unify our circle and i think it still is like we we carry our logo on the back of our jackets like we're a motorcycle motorcycle gang and we are proud of it it's like and, and anyone who has a band connected to us can also wear it like it, uh, we think it's cool. Like it's a statement, Icelandic black metal elite, or something like that. I love it. It's, it's fantastic. Thing. Yeah, I'm very. I have to say, Dagger, I'm glad we're speaking to you and not Thomas with twenty bands. <laughs> I don't know where we would even begin to write those <laughs> questions. You, you would need to do a three-hour podcast with him. <laughs> uh, do you think he'd be into uh, talking about twenty bands and his different the different um, music that he was making in all across those? Yeah, bands? sure. I, I even think that three hours wouldn't be enough. He 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 himself is a, a walking encyclopedia. Uh, he is genius, and it's not like he's taking quantity over quality. He just has so many different paths that he likes to take like not all of the, the like i think no two out of his bands sound the same like he he likes to to mess around with ambient stuff or harsh noise or whatever so he he does a lot and he's very creative well respect yeah. to him it must amazing. be must be completely inspirational to have someone like that within your For scene. For sure, has it has that driven you to kind of um, to to different projects to make to branch out and do different things? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I formed a, a new project not so long ago, maybe 
maybe it started like being a serious thing two years ago and we we decided to make a demo and we we didn't need a new band that that was not the thing we just wanted to make something much more aggressive and inspired by or like a tribute to our favorite death metal bands which is a bit far off to what we are doing with our main project so of course if if we have the time and the ambition yeah i mean we're recording this in uh, december of 2020 uh, and i was just uh, you know i was just thinking about the amount of activity going on uh, that you're describing taking place and how active you are and writing and you were talking about going to your rehearsal space this weekend and how has the 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 the, the covid-19 the pandemic Im- impacted on what you're doing um cuz listening to you it doesn't seem like it, it's slowed down your creativity or how how has it how has it affected you i i guess all the free time has given me more space to be creative uh but it it sure has been depressing to like we we had a, a big year ahead of us in in the start of the year uh, we were gonna do tours and big festivals, very exciting things. Uh, fortunately, most of these things have been rescheduled, but having to go through the year, I, I, I guess we were very privileged before to be used to going on tours and and going to festivals. And now that it's all taken away from us, we're like, oh, guess it's back to regular life for. Uh, unknown time and but but yeah like i say we in, instead of uh, touring and going to festivals we we still have the the drive so we go to the rehearsal space we work on projects like even projects that we have ne- neglected because of touring so i i guess it's uh a blessing there uh, and i try to stay positive like i i think the covid thing is it's just a test for our patients and when i say our i mean for everybody mm-hmm. yeah and where 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 were you where's the tour lined up for where were you where are you going to take the band to uh central europe uh pretty big tour we're gonna be one of out of four bands um the headliner is revenge from canada a very good band and yeah central europe so it's including england and uh going not much further east than like czech republic poland and hungary so yeah everything between there those places well, that is super exciting, eh? Yeah. And it will happen. We just yeah. have to see if it's going to be in next year or the year after that. Oh, I hope I can get to the show. I'd, yeah, yeah I'd love please to come. see that, that music live. Yes, I'd love to. Um, yeah, uh, I was just thinking about the, the, the label and you were talking about putting out uh, you know, uh, uh, other music. Do you have bands approaching you now with their demos to release their music? Yeah, even from the start. Um, like I said, we had the hiatus 
so we we don't even check the mail anymore but there's always some very random bands from all over the world that are uh, like sending us i think it's kind of almost rude they just send a copy paste text that's obviously being sent to many many labels hello we are this band from this country and we are looking for a label just any label so it's not even a focused uh, inqu- inquiry to us like why they would like to work with us if they like what we have presented before or whatever but but uh, we we like to focus on only the uh, Icelandic scene and we would we prefer to work with people we know and like we we share rehearsal space with a lot of guys who are having other projects and yeah there's a lot of activity here so we just like to keep the focus right there are you going to stay with the cassettes or are you going to go to um, branch out to vinyl as well well we would have been doing vinyl since the beginning if if it were possible in iceland like it's possible but it means that it would have to be manufactured in europe imported to iceland with all the customs and tax fees which are ridiculous here and the shipping fees of course and then our customers who are all over europe would have to pay for the albums with all those prices included and then have it shipped over to europe back to europe so it's like I think it's rude to charge a crazy high amount to a decent person who just wants to buy your music, and that's why we 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 always make deals with our labels. Can we make a cassette version and and you will make the vinyl, CD, whatever? Because those cassettes are affordable and they are much easier to to uh, import than the vinyl uh, vinyl is uh, that's too big of a project i think yeah i don't i think you uh, you're not alone in that as a as a label to be looking to cassette releases and just because of the, the how prohibitive the cost is and yeah uh, you, you're not yeah, and we we love cassettes anyway we like i was saying earlier we admired other labels around the globe who have have been releasing their like various projects and many of those small labels were only doing cassettes we are collecting these cassettes and we're like yeah these these are cool items for the collection and I suppose many of the people who are buying these never listen to them because who has a cassette deck today but if you put the effort into setting up a cassette deck that's that's a lot of fun yeah absolutely well uh, we're pretty much at the end of our questions actually Dagger. so thank you so much for making some time to 
to join us and talk to us about your your music, which I'm delighted to have found because yeah, I've I've been really enjoying exploring it this week, and I know Ben has as well. And uh, what was it you you just googled Ben off the back of this in, interview? I did, well, I, what did you just? I did. Well, I just I typed in depress it, I depress, and it brought up depressive suicide black metal. But is that because it's been listening to me? I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. that's weird, isn't it? That's, that's it not now. right. That's oh, you're going to get your, recommendations. Your phone is collecting your info. It is clearly. Yeah, that's, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It really is. And don't yeah. listen to that music, man. Dagger, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Can we just finish off with you introducing the song? Yes. Let's listen to Visions of the Void by Abassination. Thanks, Dagger. Thanks, Dagger. Thank you, too.
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. Music